Hello, and welcome to A Voice for the Kids, Child USA's internationally ranked podcast covering all aspects of child protection. I'm Professor Marcy Hamilton, the CEO and founder of Child USA. And in this really special episode, I'm joined by my dear friend, Catherine Robb, Executive Director of our sister organization, Child USA Advocacy, and Tom Crummins. He's the Director of Partnerships at Humanity Forward and a fierce advocate for children's rights. These two amazingly brave survivors are so worth listening to today, if just for one reason. They have both found themselves in the legal system fighting um, for some justice as they are both victims of child sex abuse. Catherine is suing in the courts uh, pursuant to the New York Civil, uh, the New York Child Victims Act. And Tom is in the Boy Scouts bankruptcy. Radically different routes to justice, but both are worth understanding and most importantly, understanding why we need to make changes to both. They are both in the trenches every day um, and they are fighting for the civil rights movement for children in leadership roles, and we are thrilled to have them today. This was a great discussion. We're so uh, delighted to have been able to share Tom's and Catherine's experiences with you, and we just want you to understand, if you're a survivor and you're in the process, um, please go to the Hamilton Library. Uh, on Child USA's website because we've gathered materials to support you, to comfort you, to help you with well-being, but also to help you understand exactly what's up. So thanks for joining us today and we will see you next time. So uh, I, I really want to thank both of you for joining uh, A Voice for the Kids podcast today because you are both advocates you're both so articulate and you're making a difference. And I know there are so many survivors out there of child sex abuse who would like to make a difference. Um, but they also are wondering, um, you know, I've been dealing with this for decades and what do you do if you haven't come forward until your adulthood, till later in life? So um, I thought we'd start, uh, first of all, I cannot, not rep, uh, introduce Catherine Robb is the amazing executive director of Child US Advocacy. She is a dear friend, and because of her, she is the ambassador, and I am the captain. Um, you can figure that one out, uh, but you know the name's stuck, and so that's where we are. Uh, and um, so, so let's start with Catherine. And why don't you tell us first of all? You're doing so much right now, um, and you must see uh, so many survivors who are arising and coming forward like never before. Um, what do you tell someone or, or think about someone who comes forward and, and say they're in their early 50s or they're even in their 60s? How do you talk to them and, and how do you understand the fact it took them so long? Well, part of it is I, I understand I understand it because it took so long for me. So I understand that. And typically my response, and this is straight from my heart, is 
to say, I understand and you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not your fault. And it's also not your fault that it took into your late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever that time frame is, um, your personal journey and um, whatever that time is where you are first able to really open up and speak to folks that you trust and maybe even speak publicly, um, that's your time and you have a right to it and you own it. And uh, one of the reasons we're changing these laws is to give um, those survivors the support that they need to be able to speak when they are emotionally, psychologically, you know, maybe even with family members and their therapist ready to speak. Um, It should be up to them. You make such an important point about before coming forward, having all of your, as many ducks in a row as you can manage. Mm -hmm. Um, Because uh, when, you know, you sue in these cases, as you know, this is tough. Uh, And uh, you need a lot of support, but also you just never can predict what the reactions will be and what the universe will uh, wage against you or for you when you come forward. So, um, so thank you so much. So let, let, let me ask Tom, um, first of all, uh, you are a survivor um, of the Boy Scouts. That's correct. That's what I thought. And um, tell us about coming forward. I mean, I mean, who did you tell first and, and why? Yeah, I'm one of the younger uh, survivors in this case. There's around 82,000 of us, which is such a staggering number that sometimes you lose that context. 82,000, that is a, a terrifying number to think about. Um, I hadn't planned to come forward. Uh, definitely not in this timeline. I uh, fell into some hardships unexpectedly. My father had passed. I'd been hit uh, in a uh, unexpected car accident all at the same time. My whole life got thrown uh, astray. And as that happened, all of these memories started to bubble up. And I couldn't figure out why there was all this anxiety. I couldn't figure out why I was having uh, chronic back pain. All I knew is that I was perpetually on edge. And it took me going on a, uh, a self-discovery little walkabout, took my dad's Jeep uh, across the country, traveled to a bunch of national parks. And on the very last leg of that journey, I decided to uh, stop by uh, one of the Boy Scout camps I went to as a kid. I had no idea what I was walking into. I thought this was a chance to uh, you know, think about and care about my father. And when I stepped onto those grounds, it hit me like a freight train. All of the memories came back at once, and uh, I spent the next few years in a deeply catatonic, on-edge type of state. Um, At that point, I'd had the chance to talk to my parents, or or talk to my mother and my brothers. Uh, I had the chance to tell a few close friends, but I didn't want to come forward beyond that. I, I just wanted something normal. I just wanted to feel stable and safe. And then in February of 2020, Uh, all of a sudden the Boy Scouts decide they're going to file for bankruptcy. And that forced my hand. I had no choice. uh, If I wanted any form of justice, the only path forward was to jump onto this bankruptcy. 
And I think what's shocking is the, the timeline of it. I ended up missing the statute of limitation window for my home state of South Carolina while joining this bankruptcy. So I joined, it's, it's that narrow. I think it's about 35 days or, or somewhere in that range. So I joined the bankruptcy in November of 2020. I then find my lawyer that's going to represent me in that case, which takes about a month, two months to vet. And by the time I talked to them afterwards, my birthday had passed, I turned 27 and I was now out of statute. So regardless of how this bankruptcy happens, I'm going to get pennies on the dollar purely because I didn't know how to navigate that space because why would I? Right. Well, not purely because you didn't know how to navigate it, basically because South Carolina had a really crappy um, statute of limitations, right? I mean, the what what is stunning, you bring 82,000 victims of this honorable, um, they want us to believe, and, and long-lasting organization in the United States, chartered by Congress, um, and what the federal bankruptcy system does, it focuses on Boy Scouts. They're trying to survive. It's all about making sure they're economically healthy to go forward. And then 82,000 of you are now all governed by the statutes of limitations where the abuse occurred. So you got 50 states, Boy Scouts are everywhere. And the ones in statute of limitations have a much higher claim because they have a legal stand. And the ones who've missed the statute of limitations, like you say, are going to be treated pretty shabbily. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the elements of federal bankruptcy that I just, I cannot fathom why it is that you have to treat every survivor differently. Um, and, you know, Boy Scouts could have waived the statute of limitations. They could have. Um, but they didn't. Some some funds do, but they didn't do that. So how has your experience been going through this awful federal bankruptcy? One word, re-traumatizing. I mean, and Marcy, if we're looking at the, the challenge of this, it is forcing me to relive this memory uh, before I'm ready. I, right. I struggle to sleep. Uh, I, that chronic back pain continues to, to pester me. And I can feel the way that I'm engaging with uh, people around me, especially those that care enough to get close. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a distance and, and that hardship just gets compounded by going through this. Uh, we have to fill out all of these different forms that require us to add all these, these really key details in. And that itself is enormously difficult. Uh, but I think the toughest part is all the phrasing. They have to, to shift through all of these victims or survivors, but they call us claimants instead. Right. Uh, they, to give us the ability to vote in a chapter 11 bankruptcy, uh, they have to give, assign each and every one of us a one cent uh, or $1 voting amount, because that's the only way for us to fully function in a bankruptcy format. So for me to cast my vote, I have to say, here's my one, and I'm gonna send it on over, uh, yes or no. That's, it's just proof that this whole process isn't designed for what we're trying to, to do. And right. for the bulk of us, I've had the chance to talk to many, many survivors. 
we just want to keep future generations of scouts protected and safe from this type of uh, potential abuse. And there's not really much that's enforceable in a bankruptcy hearing. There, there's going to be claims about talking to future, uh, talking to parents and saying, here's, here's an issue that happened, we're going to disclose it. But that's not really enforceable. You need third-party groups to step in. You need uh, accountability. You need scouts that survive this type of abuse mm -hmm. on the different panels or boards. And we need as much of that to be enforceable as we can. And we can't do that in a bankruptcy. So how do you process that? It's, well, it's not the it, right place to be. It, precisely. Um, and as you know, I mean, Child USA is working really hard to reform the federal bankruptcy system for the child sex abuse survivors, because it is just a cruel irony that the Boy Scouts are the debtor the focus of the whole thing. And the goal is to preserve their assets so they can go forward. And then, and then you all are a bunch of creditors. I mean, you're on the same par as the roofer. Um, so, but, but that it's chilling the part about you have to have a dollar at, to show your interest that then pushes you into, I, I mean, to have to vote according to a dollar share that must feel terrible. It's, it feels terrible and it feels uh, shameful. Uh, I, there, there's this feeling of guilt every step of the way because for a lot of us, we believe in the mission of scouting. Uh, we believe right. in, in the good that can come from it. I have this eagle up behind me because I went on to get my eagle. That's something that my father had always wow. encouraged me to do. Yeah. And we believe in that mission and those ideals. And yet we have to also focus on the fact that they're the ones that fell short of those ideals. So right. casting the vote, I feel shameful for you know, dredging this back up, but I'm not the one that did that. I'm not the one that caused the pain to myself or to the many others that joined this bankruptcy and the many more that have passed or didn't have the courage or even the awareness to join this bankruptcy in the first place. How do we navigate that type of space? It's it, it's again, it's the wrong place for us to do this. And yeah. we need to acknowledge future pathways to address institutionalized abuse. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Catherine, what is it that, so you are, you know, you're, you're leading our sister organization out there fighting state by state so effectively and so amazingly. Um, what do you think when you hear someone a survivor like Tom say, well, we're all in one group. We've got a national you know, organization that let us down and I get next to nothing because my SOL had expired. And uh, the guy sitting next to me at the meeting, he's going to get quite a bit because he was in a state where he was in statute. How do you feel? What's your view of that? I find it so unbelievably frustrating, uh, you know, um, unfair, re-traumatizing. It, it is the wrong tool or system to deal with this problem in a way that is healthy, in a way that honors victims, honors children. Um, it is just counterintuitive to supporting um, 
survivors and victims that are already struggling. Um, so I, I find it infuriating um, that this is the system that exists here and that these institutions, not just the Boy Scouts of America, but others, as we know, um, basically they get a new day, you know, they, they get, you know, that's what it is, reorganization, they get a new day. Survivors don't get a new day. You know, right. they, they don't get to lose the harm and the memories. Um, so I find it um, appalling and extremely frustrating. Yeah, I, you know, if you think about it, it's really interesting the way our culture continues to pivot toward helping the bad actors, the powerful ones, right? Because normally, Tom, if you'd been in statute, and you could have waited till you were actually fully ready. Let's say you came forward in your 40s, right? And in, in a just state, you would have had an open door and you would have been able to file a lawsuit. And in that lawsuit, you would have been the center of attention. The harm to you would have been the center of attention. They would have been on the defensive. And the whole goal of our um, civil justice system is to make you whole and make help you go forward into the future healthy and happy, right? So that there's something grotesque about the fact that we can flip that upside down, invoke federal law, and give these guys this capacity to do this, um, especially when they can. Uh, you know, part of what's going on is that BSA is saying, "Hey, you know, we got these charters. We've got these. The councils are the." landowners. Um, the charters are like the churches that hosted the troops. Um, they should be able to make de minimis donations to this fund, and then they can walk away and never be sued again. Um, tell us how, what you're thinking about that, that scenario right now. I know you guys just voted. Uh, there's, uh, there's a couple challenges that I'm seeing here. Uh, the first is that we don't have off-ramps for these organizations that have institutionalized child abuse for years, if not decades, to address it other than to let it fester under the surface and then go for Chapter 11. And there's this feeling of, you know, when, when the first case of abuse happened, that was a, that was a one-time incident. It, it happened on its own. And there was a decision made that well, let's, let's address this. Let's solve the problem. We genuinely want to, to protect the, the scouts here and let's do it in-house. And then another case happened and they decided the same thing. Another case happened and then it became a cover-up. Not out of malice, but out of the sense that we can fix this because we're closest to the problem. And that happens in organizations across the nation and around the world. The, oh, this feeling of Let's, let's cover ourselves, let's protect what we can and try and fix the problem and then realize we are way in over our heads. Oh, that's happening constantly. So I'm, I'm not surprised we're at this place. The, the Boy Scouts, uh, different Catholic churches, the USA Gymnastics team, they, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are scores, if not hundreds, if not thousands of organizations that are right now watching this type of bankruptcy and saying, I don't want to be in this place, but we're here. And maybe chapter 11 is how we get out of this too. That's, that's what concerns me the most. And that's what we have to address. So how do we, how do we navigate this space knowing that we're in an inequitable process 
that bankruptcy will never result in something good. Well, we acknowledge that this is a federal problem. Congress designed Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and they did not design it for this purpose. So for those organizations that decided we're going to use Chapter 11 to dodge this type of institutionalized abuse, well, let's, let's set up uh, different types of funds or supportive efforts for survivors that got pulled in to those broken bankruptcies well, and so say, yes. Let me think about this. Um, I, I really thought it was interesting. You, you were talking about there's no off-ramp for these bad actors, right? But you are an Eagle Scout, which is a huge achievement. And I hear you saying that the Boy Scouts are worth saving. Do, do I hear that? Scouting is worth saving. Scouting is worth saving. And, so uh, yes. what would the perfect world look like uh, with respect to this? And, and I also want to add, it's not just that bankruptcy law is federal. The Boy Scouts are chartered by Congress. <laughs> so we got, Washington has a problem. So what is your vision of the, of the perfect? Well, the vision of the perfect is... Uh, realizing that a, an organization of this size needs some oversight. And right now, the Boy Scouts of America has become synonymous with scouting, but they are not the only scouting organization. Right. There are plenty of others that try to push for the ideals of getting out into nature, building community, trying to create uh, leadership skills uh, in the next generation. There's plenty of groups that do that. So if the Boy Scouts want to be the the leading group that holds up that mantle, they have to rise to that occasion. That is a privilege. That is not something that simply happens. And right now they've shown they can't hold themselves to account. They can't do it internally. And as a chartered organization under Title 36 in the US Congress, Congress can be the group that oversees them. And here's where it gets even more tricky. Over 100 members of the current Congress have direct ties to scouting. They were Eagle Scouts, they were Boy Scouts, uh, or they volunteer uh, for a troop in their area. Right. And when you have that level of interconnection, where over 20% of members of Congress have that tie-in, well, how do you navigate that space? We're so focused on the ideals of what scouting could be that we're willing to put for, you know, we're willing to settle for the, the struggles and the trauma that happens along the way. And that's right. not, that's not a good balance. No, that's wrong. I mean, it's wrong in the, that balance in the Catholic church doesn't work where it's not, it's, uh, you know, salvation and it's wrong in the boarding school in uh, Missouri that's uh, putting kids at risk right now. So, um, but I think there's an, a fascinating juxtaposition here. So, uh, Tom has been put through a bankruptcy proceeding um, that is not built for child sex abuse victims. And as I just said, compare it to if you went, if you did, had a lawsuit. Catherine is a survivor. She actually was one of those who were able to file a lawsuit through the Child Victims Act. And um, I don't want you to talk about um, pending uh, litigation for any reason, but Catherine what is your, what's your advice to survivors that find themselves, that they've landed in the process of litigation? How, how do you protect yourself? How, how do you survive it? Uh, I, th I think the first thing I would gently share with people is it's not over. 
just because you had the ability to, to file. It um, can be very um, re-traumatizing. Um, a lot is not entirely in your control. Um, I have an amazing attorney who's very skilled at this. Um, I'm an attorney. I understand this stuff. So I, I kind of speak the language. And if it's hard for me, I can only imagine what it's like for people that don't have that additional muscle of understanding the law. You know, it can be very confusing. I talk to survivors all the time who call me and say, I don't understand this. And, you know, I'm always happy to spend time sharing and um, trying to give them a little bit of simple layperson's education on it uh, to make them feel better. <clears throat> but <clears throat> it's, um, it's a, a very challenging um, road and um, you do get re-traumatized and your credibility comes into question. Um, and <clears throat> uh, for me personally, um, the, the harder it is and the more my credibility is attacked, the, the deeper my heels go in. <laughs> and, you know, so I just... Um, this is true. I, I have no I, doubt about that. <laughs> so, um, so I think what I just share with folks is that, you know, um, it's still a bit of a mystery path um, and it still has some bumps. I, I think we're getting better. I, I think that the work that Child USA does, especially educating the, you know, the objective of educating ju uh, judges on, on trauma, whether it's in family court or other courts, I think it's super important that judges understand that. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it can just be a very, very challenging path that um, will have a lot of uncertainty to it. It is not, oh, I'm able to file, I'm gonna to get to justice. And by the way, when I get there, I'm gonna feel better. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you may not feel better. It may take a little bit of time. So I think it's, it's definitely a process of standing up, speaking out, having the opportunity to do so. Um, and um, it, it's a process of, you know, very different than what Tom is going through. Um, but it, you know, all of these, um, whether it's in Congress or state uh, trial um, courtrooms, it's, it's a process. And um, I think the more we speak out, the better this process will be. A hundred percent. But the, you know, I, I keep uh, thinking that you know, we want to protect kids, we want to prevent abuse in the future, and we want to educate the whole public. So this mm -hmm. never happens again. And we want to support survivors that are having to go through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say that we have, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, we need to reform federal bankruptcy. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to educate every judge in this country. Because if you are a judge, you have probably a lot of different kinds of cases. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so easy to traumatize the survivor, their family, their spouses, and then um, to just muck up the case when knowledge would have led them down a, a better path. And uh, 
I think one of our most favorite targets is the bankruptcy judges. Um, if they're going to keep having, because there's plenty of this out there, if they're going to keep having institutions coming in and trying to save themselves through the bankruptcy courts, um, their judges need to understand trauma, that they, they, this isn't a just a dollars and cents case at all. But you know, some of the bankruptcies have been able to create some future deterrence for abuse. Um, so the Wilmington uh, Diocese bankruptcy uh, with Matt Conady uh, working really hard at the, at the top of that survivor group, they actually were able to instill really impressive child prevention policies that the diocese had to publish that they had to pay for. Um, and, and those survivors spent almost all of their time. They, they wouldn't even talk about a number in that instance until there was this agreement on um, these kinds of uh, non-monetary but really important future protections. But the, the, you know, they could do that. It was about 150, right? It wasn't 82,000. So Tom, what are the survivors in the bankruptcy talking about in terms of future changes in BSA and not, I want the world to understand that you all are not just there sitting in your chairs, waiting for a check to be mailed, that you really are actively caring about the future of kids and scouts. So what, what's going on with that side of it? If you, whatever you can tell us. Well, that's exactly the tough part, is yeah. anybody that's reading any of the news around uh, the bankruptcy, they're probably going to hear something either from the Boy Scouts of America, the large insurance companies, the largest in the nation, uh, the different chartering institutions, Catholic Church, Methodist Church, Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, and then these large law firms that went and took money from Wall Street to then run a series of ads to try and recruit as many different survivors as possible to their specific firm and secure monetary damages. All of these groups are going to talk about the amount of money that got put into the settlement fund. And that's the conversation. We are in a bankruptcy. My humanity has been driven down into dollars and cents. That's the entire focus of the conversation. And that's disgusting. Yeah. What most of the people I've talked to are focused on is how do I feel better? Because I'm exhausted. Uh, I'm one of the younger group, one of the younger survivors here. And there are people that have been dealing with this for decades and they are exhausted. They are tired. They just want to be at peace. And that's what they're looking for. And then there's this whole other push to say, well, what's, how do we keep future generations of, uh, of scouts uh, protected from this type of abuse? That's where we want to be focusing, and yet the conversation keeps coming back to the money. So fortunately, there are some pieces of the plan that's uh, getting voted on. We'll be going into a hearing in the next few days uh, to potentially confirm that plan. And there are some good pieces that uh, focus on youth protection. Uh, there's the potential to have uh, more notifying systems so that if there is a case that pops up, because unfortunately this is a societal issue and it's likely to, uh, that parents get notified uh, even quicker. Uh, there are discussions around uh, the police and their engagement and how there's some level of accountability there. There's discussions around having uh, youth protection boards and dedicated uh, directors 
set up and established. But in my mind, none of that rings true because they, there has been uh, a recent push to have youth protection. And there's a celebration going on of, you know, since the 90s, uh, the amount of abuse has dropped significantly. But the issue is that the amount of abuse averages to one child per day. And yeah. since we added all of this youth protection in, I am one of those people. So how do I, how do I buy into the words that are being said? It right. sounds great, but how do we make sure it's enforceable? How do we make sure that there are third parties involved? Because at the end of the day, an institution is going to protect itself, probably because Always. they want to pursue the mission. They want to do it out of good. Yeah. but they're still going to do the wrong thing. We need third parties. We need something enforceable. And that's, that's my main focus right now. Good for you. I, I mean, it's a, it's a fact across all of these uh, organizations, all the way down to the smallest private school, all the way up to the biggest organization like the Boy Scouts or the Catholic Church. Not, not a single institution has fixed their own problem. So if they have entrenched sexual abuse, they need systemic reform. And that's a lot more than uh, talking to a few people and then telling everybody you're down to one a day. That, that actually blows me away. Um, and I think on that note, we're going to close because everybody can walk around with their mouth open for the rest of the day. What? Um, that's terrifying. Um, thank you so much, Catherine, the ambassador. Thank you, Tom. You are doing such important work. We, want, we thank you for it. Um, and uh, we are going to uh, make sure this gets wide play because the comparison between being in the courts and being in the bankruptcy system, this is genius because it shows us we've got so much work to do in both arenas. So thanks for your leadership. Thanks for speaking up. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Marcy. Thanks, Thanks guys. Us, Marcy. That was awesome. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you.